back into the book of Acts. If you're new with us, we uh, started walking through the book of Acts back last year, and then uh, for Christmas and the new year, we took a little detour. So we are back in Acts this morning. If uh, you don't have a Bible with you, don't worry, all the verses will be on the screen, and you can follow along there. There's also a Bible in the pews in front of you, and you can use that if you want. If you don't have a Bible, please feel free to just grab that one in the pew in front of you, and you can take that and uh, keep that as your own. Um, So back on September 11th, 2012, terrorists attacked a U.S. diplomatic compound in Benghazi, Libya. And in the process, the American ambassador and several others were killed in this attack. And so it's kind of interesting because before this attack, I think probably nine out of ten Americans wouldn't even have had an idea that there was a city in Libya called Benghazi. But after that attack, after that was all on the news, like every American was familiar with the city of Benghazi. And so after that initial attack in 2012, violence kind of continued to spread throughout that city. It became more and more dangerous. Uh, Terrorist groups began to target Westerners who lived in Libya and began to uh, attack Westerners who lived there. And so this led to both the United States and Britain advising all of their citizens to not visit Libya and advising any citizens who are currently still in Libya to leave immediately. So that happened, and then a year after that initial attack, as the city became more and more dangerous, it became almost completely empty of foreigners, or almost no foreigners living in Benghazi. So a year after that initial attack, news broke that a 33-year-old American from Austin named Ronnie Smith was shot by two terrorists while he was on his morning jog in Benghazi. And so when this, when this news broke, the media explained that he was living in Benghazi as a school teacher, as a science teacher at a local school there. And when the news broke, um, here in the States, there was um, kind of all sorts of confusion. Like, of course, everyone was very sad to learn about this American that had been killed in Benghazi. But when the news broke, the question that everyone was asking was, what in the world was an American still doing in Benghazi teaching science? Like, why was he still there? Why didn't he leave when the State Department said, hey, it's no, longer da- it's no longer safe. We can't keep you safe. It's too dangerous. You will be targeted. Why in the world was he still there? And so when the news initially broke, there was like all sorts of theories and rumors. You know, people were like, well, he, he must have been CIA. Like he was like some spy who was on some secret mission. Or like, because there was no other reason people could comprehend of why this guy would have stayed there and put himself at risk. But here's the reason why Ronnie Smith stayed in Benghazi, the reason that wasn't initially known or reported in the media. It's because Ronnie Smith didn't move to Benghazi to be a chemistry teacher at a local school. He moved to Benghazi to take the good news of the death and resurrection of Jesus to the people of Libya. That's why he moved there. You see, before he moved, um, him and his wife and their kid, they were members at a great church over in Austin, a church called the Austin Stone Community Church. And at their church, they went through the season where they had this focus, this emphasis on global missions. They talked about what it meant to take the gospel to the nations, to take the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. And during that series, Ronnie developed a burden and a love in his heart for the people of Libya. And so he felt like God was calling him to go and move his family to Benghazi to make disciples of the people in Libya. And so here's the thing. What did he get as a result 
of moving himself and his family away from all of the comforts of living in Austin, Texas, leaving behind everything he knew to take his family to Benghazi, Libya, to love and serve the people of Libya. What did he get as his earthly reward? Martyrdom. Bullets in his back. And I remember about 10 years ago when this story broke and I was reading and then I remember a couple days later finding out that he wasn't there as a school teacher, he wasn't in a government agency, he was there as a missionary. I remember when I read that and there was part of me that was kind of angry with God. Because I was thinking, okay God, this seems so unfair. Like here is this man who has left behind everything to serve you. He's left behind everything to faithfully do what he believes you have called him to do. He sacrificed everything. He doesn't deserve the fate that you let him suffer. Now, I think there's things in there. There's truth in there. But as I read Acts 6 and as I read Acts 7 and I read the story of this guy named Stephen, I'm challenged with that narrative that I had in my mind. Because that narrative that I had in my mind that it's so unfair for Ronnie Smith to suffer the fate he had, I realized reading scripture that I was bringing some assumptions into that. Right, like I was assuming, uh, my underlying assumption when I read the news about Ronnie Smith is that if you are seeking to live a life that is faithful to God, then God should reward you with an easy life. Like that's my assumption. And I think a lot of us kind of approach God with that same assumption, that like an easy life should be a reward for a faithful life. I think we just kind of assume, if I'm seeking to follow Christ, if I'm seeking to honor God with my life, then things should go well and things should be easy. But here's the deal. Scripture never promises that. You're not gonna find a verse in all of scripture that says, hey, if you're faithful to God, your life's gonna be easy and simple and everything will be good. You won't find that. In fact, you will find the opposite. You'll find Jesus telling his followers, in this world, you will have trouble. Not in this world, you may have trouble. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. You see Jesus telling his followers, hey, when the world hates you, just take comfort and it's only because you're my followers. They're gonna hate you because the world hated me first. We see over and over and over in scripture that faithfulness will lead to trials and discouragement and suffering. Right, how's that for a sales pitch of faithfulness, right? Aren't you like, oh, I'm ready to be faithful, let's go. Bro, that's what we see over and over in scripture. Faithfulness will lead to trials and suffering. So let's look at the story of this guy, Stephen, and we'll kind of unpack why that is. So we'll pick it up in Acts 6, verse 8. It says this, it says, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day, some men from the synagogue of the free slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. They were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Cilicia, whatever that word is, I don't know, and the province of Asia. I haven't had enough coffee this morning. It says, none of them could stand against the wisdom and power and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. So listen to what they did. It says, so they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, we have heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. This roused the people, the elders and the teachers of religious law, so they arrested Stephen and brought him before the high council. The lying witnesses said, this man, man is already speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses. 
We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs that Moses handed down to us. At this point, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen because his face became bright as an angel's. And then the high priest asked Stephen, are these accusations true? So Stephen is out, he's, he's spreading the gospel, he's sharing the good news about Jesus' death and resurrection. God is using Stephen to bring people into the church, into the family of God. And so some of the religious leaders, they are threatened by this. They want to stop Stephen. So they begin spreading these lies and these rumors. They say, hey, Stephen's doing all these things. He wasn't actually doing, but they say he's doing all these things. And so the religious leaders bring him in. They arrest him. They say, hey, here's the accusations against you. Are these accusations true? And then what's going to happen, I'm not going to read it, but Stephen gives basically what is the longest sermon in the entire book of Acts. This is his response. Uh, I'd encourage you to go home and read it on your own, Acts chapter 7. He gives this sermon, and then this is what happens. This is the conclusion after he proclaims Christ and preaches this sermon as his defense. Chapter 7, verse 57. It says, then they, talking about the leaders here, it says, then they put their hands over their ears and begin shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at a feet, the feet of a young man named Saul. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. All right, now, if you missed it when we started Acts back at the end of last year, what happens right before this, at the beginning of Acts 6, the story right before this story, is this same guy, Stephen, and six others are appointed as deacons in the church of Jerusalem. So what happens right before this is Stephen is placed into a position of servant leadership within the church. He becomes a man who sacrifices and who serves the church specifically by meeting the needs of a group of widows who had previously been marginalized. And so don't miss the order of events in Acts 6 and Acts 7. Stephen steps up to be used by God. Right? He faithfully answers the call to serve God. And what happens? The very next part of his story is he is arrested and murdered. He becomes the first martyr in the history of the church. See, what's interesting, we, we don't know Stephen's background, we don't know his story, but I think it's safe to assume before the death and resurrection of Jesus, before the birth of the church and the events of the book of Acts, I think it's safe to assume that Stephen probably had a safe and a normal and a relatively happy life living in Jerusalem. He just went about his life, everything was good, he was minding his own business, and no one is bothering him, people left him alone. But notice, as soon as he faithfully steps into his calling, he's killed. As soon as he steps up and says, God, use me however you want to use me, that's when he comes under attack and is killed. Now for us, what does this have to do with us today? And I think we need to understand, we need to be reminded from the story of Stephen that when you step out in faith to do whatever it is that God has called you to do, right? Like when you begin to look at your life as a follower of Christ and you move away from saying, okay, well, life's about me and it's about my happiness and my comforts and 
my career, my family, and what I want, when you shift away from that and you begin to realize, no, my life is about bringing glory to God by serving him and by being used by him to accomplish the Great Commission. It's not about my happiness, it's about making disciples of Jesus. When you make that pivot in your life, you are going to come under attack. It's going to happen. It is going to happen, but for most of us it will look different than it looked for Stephen. Because for most of us, when you make that shift, when you make that pivot, Right, the, the authorities aren't gonna come and arrest you like they did Stephen, but there is an enemy who will seek to stop you from seeking to live faithfully for Christ. Right, the Apostle Paul, he tells us in Ephesians, though, he tells us very clearly that our enemy is not flesh and blood, meaning our enemy is not other people. Right, like non-believers aren't the enemy. Right, like Republicans or Democrats, depending on where you lean, that's not the enemy. You know, Muslims, they're not the enemy. But Paul clearly says, other people aren't the enemy. He says, our enemy is a spiritual enemy. Our ultimate enemy is Satan. Satan is the enemy of God. And see, here's what God is up to in the world. What God is up to in the world today is God is seeking to bring people into his eternal family through the death and resurrection of his son Jesus. That is God's desire in the world. That's what he's up to. That's what he wants to see happen in the world. For people who are far from him, for people who are lost in their sin, to be brought into his eternal family through the death and resurrection of his son. You see, Satan hates God, and so Satan wants to stop what God wants to do in the world. But here's the difference between God and Satan. Satan is powerful, but he is not God. You see, God is omnipresent, meaning that since he is God, he is always everywhere all at once. Like God is here with us today, right here in this room, right? And, and he's in a small living room in the underground church in China that is meeting today. He's there with them, and he's there with us. God is everywhere, always, all at once. He's omnipresent, but Satan is not omnipresent. He is not God, which means that Satan and his spiritual army of demons, their resources are limited. They can't be everywhere all at once. They have limited resources. And so here's the reason. Here is why when we begin to step out in faithfulness, when we begin to say, hey, I want to be used by God, I want my life to matter, I want to make a difference, it's why when we make that pivot that we then start feeling discouragement, that we then start feeling attack, that we then start feeling despair, and why we step out in faithfulness, our lives often get harder and not easier. It's because if Satan, God's enemy, has limited resources, who is he going to spend his time attacking? Those who are faithful? Are those who are unfaithful. It's those who are faithful. It's those who are seeking to make a difference. It's those who are seeking to be used by God to move the kingdom of God forward. That's who he will focus his limited resources on attacking. Like, think about it like this. What is the safest place on a football field? Somebody. The sidelines, the bench. Right, I played one season of football in eighth grade and I never got hurt because I never made it onto the field. Right? I just sat on the bench. That was good. Like On the bench, I didn't have to worry about tearing my ACL. 
I didn't have to worry about concussions. On the bench, nobody was trying to hit me. But as soon as you enter the game, and as soon as you start trying to move the ball down the field for your team, and people come at you, they start trying to take your head off. And we see here through the story of Stephen, the same is true in the Christian life. Like if you're a follower of Christ, but you're just kind of like living, sitting on the sidelines, saying like, I'm just gonna kind of mind my own business. I'm not worried about being a meaningful part of the church. I'm not worried about being in relationship with others. I'm not worried about making disciples. You know, it's, it's just kind of me and Jesus. My faith is private. My faith is personal. It's just me and Jesus, and, and that's what I need. If that's how you approach the Christian life, you'll have a pretty easy life. Satan will probably leave you alone. But like Stephen, when you step up and you step out in faith and you say, no, no, I'm, I'm gonna seek to be a meaningful part of the church family. I'm gonna seek to connect with others in deep relationships because I know that's gonna be good for my spiritual growth. When you say, hey, I wanna have conversations with my coworkers about Jesus because Jesus has changed my life and I love them and I want Jesus to change their life. But when you say, hey, I'm gonna get coffee once a week with a new believer just so I can encourage them and pray for them and answer any questions that they may have about their faith. When you step out in faith, when you get into the game, the enemy is going to come for you. You're going to face attack and most likely things are going to get harder, not easier. Because in the Christian life, faithfulness, doesn't lead to an easier life. It leads to a fight. It leads to a battle. Now again, you're probably thinking like, wow, pastor, that's so encouraging. Like, and I'm just gonna try to be faithful. No, you're, you're probably like, well then, why should I even try, right? Like, what's the point? Why will I seek to be faithful if it's just gonna like make things more challenging and difficult? Well, real quick, as we close, I think we see, the, we see three things in Stephen's story that clearly happens, three things that God does in our lives when we walk in faithfulness. When we walk in faithfulness despite what it may mean for us, God is doing things in our life. Here's the first thing that we see. When we walk in faithfulness, even in the midst of suffering, God is present with us in our trials. Right, when you experience trials, when you experience suffering, when you experience discouragement, at any time, especially as a result of faithfulness, God is with you in those trials. So Stephen, in that sermon that I mentioned that he preaches, he kind of summarizes it in verse 48, and this is what he says. He says, however, the most high, or talking about God, he says, however, the most high doesn't live in temples made by human hands. Right, Stephen's point there is that God is not contained to temples, he's not contained to buildings, he's not contained to a sanctuary like this one. His whole point is that God is always with his people wherever they are and in whatever they are going through. Right, in this sermon he preaches, and again, I would encourage you to read it on your own this afternoon. In this sermon that he preaches over and over and over again, what he is saying, what he is proclaiming is that in the midst of difficult circumstances, God was always present with his people even when it didn't look like he was. 
He starts and he says that when Abram, who became Abraham, when Abram was living in this pagan land, no one in this pagan land knew God or worshiped God. But God was there in that pagan land. And it was in the middle of that pagan land that God sought out Abram. Stephen goes on, he says, when Joseph was unjustly imprisoned in Egypt, it looked dark, it looked desperate, it looked like God was nowhere to be found, but there in that cold, dark jail cell, God was present with Joseph. Then later, when the people of God were enslaved in Egypt for generations, it looked like God was absent, it looked like God didn't hear their cries, but God was there in Egypt and God heard their cries. And then when they were rescued from slavery and they were wandering through the wilderness for 40 years, when it took four decades to get to the promised land, Stephen says, through the tabernacle, God was even there present in the wilderness with his people. Again, Stephen's point there in the midst of his own suffering is that in the midst of trials, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of discouragement, we are going to be tempted to think, well, God must be absent. God must not be with me if he's allowed me to walk through this. But Stephen, in the midst of his own persecution and suffering, is reminding us that when it feels like God is absent, God is always present with his people. And so why should we seek to be faithful, even if it may lead to trials and suffering? Because God is going to be ever present with us in our trials and suffering. Here's another reason we see why we should seek to be faithful in spite of what it brings us. We see here through Stephen that God uses our trials to make us more like Jesus. God uses the trials that we walk through to make us more like Jesus. So look at verse 59 in chapter seven. It says, as they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then as he fell to his knees, he shouted, Lord, don't charge them with this sin And with that, he died. So two things Stephen says right before his death. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And Lord, don't charge these people, those who are killing him, don't charge them with this sin. See, the Gospels record seven different things that Jesus said as he was being crucified, as he was unjustly being put to death like Stephen is here. And one of the things that Jesus says on the cross is Father, into your hands, receive my spirit. And another thing Jesus says on the cross is he looks out on those who are unjustly killing him and Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. What what does Stephen say as he is being unjustly killed? He says, Lord, into your hands, receive my spirit. And he looks out on those who are unjustly killing him says, Lord, forgive them. Lord, don't hold the sin against them. You see, when Stephen began following Jesus during his life, his life looked like Jesus. His life reflected Jesus because he used his life to serve others. Remember, like I said, he used his life to serve the needs of those widows who had previously been marginalized in his community. Stephen did the work of Jesus. He looked like Jesus during his life. But now, In his death, he is looking even more like Jesus. See, God is using this horrific, unjust tragedy to make Stephen more like Jesus. 
Even into his last moments, God is using this injustice to make Stephen more like Jesus. But I think this is such a perfect picture of God doing what he says he will promise to do in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. All right, many of you know this. In Romans 8, 28, this is what Paul says. He says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose for them. So if you grew up in church, you know that verse, that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him. We love that verse, but unfortunately, we don't read the next verse to discover what that good is that God is working together for us. Because 29, the very next verse, it says, for God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son. God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son. So, so notice there, that good that Paul promises that God is always working together in the lives of those who love God, it's, it's not a fleeting, temporary happiness that changes with our circumstances. It's not a fleeting, temporary good that we may have, but then if circumstances change, we lose. That's not the good that Paul says God is working all things together for. He clearly lays out that that good thing that God will take anything we walk through, that good thing that God will use any circumstances we walk through to bring good through it, he says the thing that he's doing through it is making us more like his son, Jesus we see here in this story that God is using this tragedy that Stephen walks through to make him more like Jesus. And so in those seasons when our faithfulness may lead to discouragement, and it may lead to trials, and it may lead to suffering, God will not waste that discouragement. He won't waste those trials. He won't waste our suffering. He will always use those to make us more like Jesus. There's so one more thing we see in the story of Stephen that God is doing through our faithfulness. What we see is that even when we are suffering, even when we walk through trials, even when we face discouragement, God is always using our trials to change the world. We may not be able to see it in our lives. We may not be able to see it on this side of eternity, but we clearly see here in the story of Stephen that God is always using our trials to change the world. So the next chapter, the story goes on in chapter 8, verse 1. It says, Saul was one of the witnesses, one of the witnesses to this murder. Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. And a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers except the apostles were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Now, you were here when we started this series, you remember back in Acts 1 and then in Matthew 28 when Jesus gives the Great Commission. What Jesus told his followers is he says, now go and you will be my witnesses. Basically, you will go and tell others about my death and resurrection in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. Right, that's what Jesus told his followers to do. He says, go and be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But so far in the book of Acts, if you've been with us, what has happened? 
They've been witnesses, but only in Jerusalem. All the believers, all the followers of Christ, they have all remained in Jerusalem. They've been faithful in being witnesses to Jerusalem, but they haven't yet gone and been witnesses in Judea and Samaria, and they certainly haven't yet gone to the ends of the earth. But notice here, because the death of Stephen, as a result of that event, persecution begins to sweep over the church, and God uses, he sovereignly uses that persecution to scatter the believers so that they then go and take the gospel to Judea and to Samaria. And as a result, we see in chapter 8 that Philip, one of the first followers of Jesus, he goes to Samaria. He scatters to Samaria. And because of that, we see many people in Samaria begin following Jesus. And so as a result of the suffering that Stephen endures, the world begins to change. The gospel begins to go out into Samaria and Judea, and the Great Commission begins to be accomplished. But also because of that, the gospel is eventually going to get to the ends of the earth. Because notice there, verse 8, or chapter 8, verse 1. Does this man, who was a witness and part of the murder of Stephen, it was this guy named Saul. Saul went by another name. It was Paul. And he was there. He witnessed the martyrdom of Stephen. And we're going to see as we get to chapter 9 in a couple weeks that eventually Saul, Paul, he has this encounter with Jesus that completely changes his life. And we see that, that Paul, because he mentions it later in his life, that he could never get out of his head what he saw happen to Stephen and the faithfulness of Stephen there. God used that event to change the life of Paul. And Paul would go on, he would begin following Jesus, and Paul would take the gospel to the ends of the earth. He would become the greatest missionary in the New Testament and maybe the greatest missionary that the world has ever seen. As Saul witnessed the execution of Stephen, God used that to do something and to change the life of Saul. And he would begin to walk in faithfulness and take the mission, take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so when Jesus said back in Acts 1, hey, go and be my witnesses. Be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Be my witnesses in Judea. Be my witnesses in Samaria. And be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. As Stephen is breathing his last breath here on this earth, he would have no way of knowing that his life and death would become the catalyst that would make that happen. And so think about the results of what has happened because of what Stephen endured. Really, when you think about it, it's in a lot of ways a result of that. It's a result of Stephen that 2,000 years later, we are here today on a Sunday, on the Lord's Day, worshiping our resurrected King Jesus together as a family here in Houston, Texas. The reason we are here today with the gospel is because of what's happening here in Acts 7 and 8. Because listen, I know for, for those of us who um, were born here in America, I know that we have this tendency to assume that like America is like the geographic center of the entire world, but we're not, right? We're just not. Well, we assume we are, but we're not. What we've got to remember is that 2,000 years ago, in the Middle East, 
when Jesus looked at those 12 and he says, go and be my disciples, go and make disciples, be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. When Jesus said that 2,000 years ago, there wasn't anything more ends of the earth than North America. Right, think about it. Those first disciples couldn't even have comprehended this plot of dirt that we are standing on today. They couldn't have comprehended this place. But God used this suffering. He used the trial that Stephen had to walk through to scatter the church. And then he used that trial of Stephen to change the heart of Paul who would eventually go on and have a hand in spreading the gospel all around the world to the ends of the earth so that we have the gospel here now today. So again, as Stephen is walking through this, as he was breathing his last breath, he would have no idea that because of his faithfulness 2,000 years ago, he wouldn't even have been able to comprehend that we would be here today because of that. And so listen, for us, walking in faithfulness, it's not necessarily gonna be easy. And stepping out in faith to be used by God in whatever it is that he may call you to do. It may not lead to comfortable, easy life. It may lead to trials. It may lead to suffering. It may lead to discouragement. But faithfulness is always worth it. Faithfulness is always worth it every single time. Because even though in our lives, on this side of eternity, we may never see what God is accomplishing through our faithfulness. We may never know. Stephen certainly didn't. He didn't go on to see the fruit of his faithfulness. And so for us on this side of eternity, we may never see the fruit. We may never see with our own eyes the results of our faithfulness, but faithfulness is worth it because through Stephen, we are being reminded that God will always use our faithfulness to change the world, amen? And so even when we don't know what God will do, let's strive for faithfulness.